economic reality will dictate Bitcoin's future, not niceness. It's fuck you money. If you don't agree with the Bitcoin that I'm using, like I can say fuck you, I'm doing everything myself. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. As you know, it's the Bitcoin capital of the world. How are you all doing? Did you have a good weekend? Bitcoin seems to be bouncing around between fifty-five dollars and $60,000. It's looking pretty strong here. I think we're about to go for the next leg up. What a wild last year it has been. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an amazing interview with Gigi, where we're going to be discussing Bitcoin philosophy. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. Okay, today we're going to kick off with BlockFi. And if you missed the last episode of the show, I did an interview with Zach Prince alongside WBD producer Ben Prentice, where we put all the important questions that people have about BlockFi directly to Zach. No holes barred, he answered everything. So do go and check that out if you do have any questions about BlockFi. Now, I've been telling you for quite some time that they are imminently going to be launching their rewards visa card. We also cover that in the show where you will be able to earn a market leading 1.5% rewards in Bitcoin on all card purchases. I'm very, very excited about this product. And it is now available to anyone to register and get on the wait list. You can find out more at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And next up, I'm going to talk to you about my newest sponsor, which is Ledger, the makers of hardware wallets. Now, Ledger was the first hardware wallet I ever used. When I got into Bitcoin seriously at the start of 2017, I got myself a Nano S. And do you know what? I'm still using that same device today. Now, the reason I love the Nano S, the reason I've stayed using it is firstly, it's just a very easy device to use. It's very robust. Obviously, it survived four years. But also, Ledger Live, the software which connects to my Ledger, is so easy to use. It's so easy to manage your Bitcoin. And if you are an Android phone user, you can also connect your Nano S to that device to manage your Bitcoin on the go. Now, if you want to find out more, you need to head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And also, we're going to talk about the mighty Kraken, the place I use for buying and selling Bitcoin, and my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin. Now, Kraken is consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange. And as you know, if you're a regular listener, Security is really important to me because I don't want anyone stealing my Bitcoin, right? On orders Kraken. And they have the most impressive security procedures in place to prevent that. But they also have the best in class in customer service. So you've got an issue, whatever it is, whoever you are, if you reach out to Kraken, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, the Kraken has everything you could possibly need. It could not be easier to sign up at Kraken.com and start trading Bitcoin. But they also have a mobile-first app, which is absolutely beautiful and allows you to trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so onto the show today, and I am joined by Bitcoin badass Gigi, the author of 21 Lessons, What I've Learned from Falling Down the Bitcoin Rabbit Hole, an audiobook which I have now listened to twice on my daily walks. If you haven't checked out links for the book and the Guy Swan beautifully narrated version of this are in the show notes, 
I highly recommend you check it out. Now, in the book, Gigi covers all sorts of topics from economics to tech, but most interesting to me, and for this conversation, the philosophy around Bitcoin and what it means to be a Bitcoiner. Now, my opinion has changed massively over the last four years that I've been doing this podcast, and anyone who's been a regular listener has known I've pretty much put myself out there. I've learned in public. I have made my mistakes in public. I've been shouted at, yelled out, told what I've got wrong. But I've been happy to do that because I think it's helped me learn and I think it's helped others. Now, as my opinions continue to evolve, I recognize this is something that is always going to be a moving feast. So it was so good to have a listen to Gigi's book, to learn about his approach and the things he's learned, especially someone who's much smaller than me. And when I first started out, I was messing around with shitcoins and I couldn't quite get my head around hyper-Bitcoinization, and I always thought the toxicity amongst Bitcoiners was a negative. But as you go through the cycles, you see the shitcoins fail, the rug pulls, and the changing narratives, yet Bitcoin just keeps being Bitcoin. So in this one, Gigi and I get into Bitcoin philosophy and toxicity, the corporations that have entered, and hyper-Bitcoinization. It was a really interesting conversation. I love talking to Gigi. I would definitely have him back on the show soon. Now, if you've got any feedback or you do want to reach out to me, you can hit me up. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I am getting a lot of emails. So a couple of requests. Don't send me any weird shit. God, I get some weird emails. Don't send me any weird stuff. I'm just going to bin that. And also, don't send me like a three-page, four-page essay. I mean, I do end up reading them all, but it's a bit of a nightmare because I like make that commitment. So if you can keep it concise, please do. If you do send me four pages, I will read it. You just will have to be patient and wait for me to get round to that. Okay, outside of that, my other show, Defiance. Listen, we're going to be taking a two-month break on that. We're going to be relaunching with a new producer, launching that in June. We're going to take a couple of months off to rethink the show format and the stuff we want to cover and give ourselves some breathing space. So fans of Defiance, please be aware that that is happening. But we do have the latest Britney series out there if you do want to check that out. And also, we've got a new interesting show coming this week by Edwina Stott, where we're going to be looking at your digital life after death. It's a fascinating show. I just heard it this morning. Also, my email newsletter, neveredit.com, is growing nicely. It seems that people are enjoying that, and we're also starting to do our own kind of long-form pieces for that. So go and check that out. That's it, neveredit.com. Anyway, have a great week. I hope you enjoy the show, and I will see you on Wednesday. Morning, Gigi. How are you, man? Hey, Peter. I'm fine. Thanks for having me. How are you doing yourself? I am doing very, very well. Uh, glad to finally get you on. I mentioned uh, to you a while ago, I think I pinged you on Telegram, said we should do this. And I've been listening to the beautifully narrated by Guy Swan, the beautifully narrated Guy Swan version of your book. Um, I've really loved it. So yeah, glad to do this, man. Yeah, likewise. Um, I like the Guy Swan version better myself than when I'm reading it. So shout out to Guy. Um, he's <laughs> he's like an international treasure for the Bitcoin space. Yep, he, he is. And uh, we're not going to talk about ex-pubs today, I don't think. I think we're going <laughs> to we'll avoid that today. <laughs> but your explanation of ex-pubs was very, very useful. I still don't understand it enough. I know you'll probably shake your head and other people will. Yeah, no, I think it's fine. It's just um, what... what motivated me to write it is that just a lot of people expect Bitcoin to be perfect from the get-go and it just won't be just like mm -hmm. the internet wasn't and that's where why I also drew the parallels to the early computer and internet days it was hell for like 10-15 years and it's still hell in some regards you know like everyone knows trying to connect a printer is anything but easy like printers are <laughs> made in hell I think and uh, even though we don't suffer 
networking problems that often anymore. As soon as something breaks down, you actually see how complicated everything is. Like if your smartphone stops working, you're just at a loss. And I think with Bitcoin, it's similar and people expect it to be easy. And stuff like that is just never easy, but everyone is working on it to make it better. And I think we just need a little bit of patience. Yeah, what the fuck is the deal with printers, man? I've got a, what is it here? HP Envy, right? <laughs> and the amount of times I go to print something and it says it's not connected or the print fails, and I'm like, how how are we how are we putting like how is Elon Musk talking about putting people on Mars and my printer still won't connect to my computer and I don't know how to fix it. The only way I fix it is I end up reinstalling the driver. <laughs> That's the only way I ever find a way to fix it. How, how are we still there, man? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't have a, a good answer to the question, but the fact that you have to dig into installing drivers and other things already shows you that um, when you connect certain pieces of technology together, what happens underneath and what happens in the background, background is is kind of complicated. Like, um, yeah, making all of that work isn't necessarily trivial. And I think we see the same... We see the same thing in Bitcoin as well, like setting up your node, connecting it uh, to your phone, for example, setting up Lightning currently. It's all a little bit involved, but I think we can also see the trajectory that everything is getting easier and easier. And now, for example, in in the regular technology world, we're at a place where pretty much everywhere you are, there is Wi-Fi and your phone almost automatically connects it. And it's very, very easy to do all that. And I think very soon we will be there in Bitcoin as well. And we will have all these abstractions. But what makes Bitcoin kind of special is that we must not lose the essence of Bitcoin, what it's all about, just by making it easier. So Bitcoin, if we're doing it correctly, it will remain hard and difficult in some regard. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, uh, I think people are fully aware now of my lack of uh, technical competency. And I don't know if you listened to my second Node episode with Shinobi. I um, haven't yet, but I but he, I heard good things of it in terms of that you were actually struggling <laughs> through it. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I got a little bit into command line and I learned a little bit uh, as I went with there and we were trying to get the Node to... No, so I'd sync the Node and then we tried to get it to connect to Spectre. And then I accidentally, when trying to... Uh, set up some of the settings, accidentally pruned my node. We were trying to set up Tor. I think it's a really useful uh, uh, show for people to listen to, to like to see how someone like my brain works with these things. Because people are like, oh, fuck you, Pete, you don't understand Xpubs. You should like spend some time learning. Look, I, I, I try, right? And it just, it's just a foreign language to me. But I think it's useful for people to see that. And i tell you what's funny about it is these shows don't do particularly big downloads, these technical ones. Yeah, it will do a third of what, say, a Lynn Alden show about economics will do. But it had the most emails from people who'd listened to the show you know, coming in and saying, I, the, one or two things. It was like, you should try this instead. You, you, what you're doing is far too complicated. You know, just get a, you know, sort your Raspberry Pi out. Or it was people saying, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I've got no idea how this works. Um, so I feel a little bit vindicated. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I think the shows that do best is uh, just playing into people's feelings in terms of how they will get rich and how you know, like yes. <laughs> how you can make a lot of money quickly. I think there is no, um, there is no, no surprise there. I think telling people that you that this is hard and you have to struggle through it and you have to 
learn some things and you have to take on responsibility, like the responsibility of holding your keys, for example, the responsibility of verifying your own software, the responsibility of running on your own node. It's not something that people want to hear and it's not something that people necessarily want to do. And, and just to be clear, there is also like, there is no right way or wrong way to use Bitcoin. And I think there is also no right or wrong way to view Bitcoin. Like the, the whole idea about Bitcoin is that you make the rules and it's your node and it's your thing. Like what Bitcoin is, it is a personal thing. You you can decide for yourself what Bitcoin is and how you want to use it. And uh, as Beauty on beautifully said, you know, like Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin just is, and that is enough. As long as, as Bitcoin just is there, people can use it as they as they want to use it. And I'm also convinced that our, our view of Bitcoin will continue to change, just like it has changed in the past. And also how regular people will view Bitcoin and how they will use it will change as well. And, and we are living through that. I mean, we are going now from just regular nerds on the internet to institutional adoption and everything changes kind of with that. And also the way how you hold private key material, for example, changes. I mean, uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> a, a cypherpunk who knows exactly what he's doing um, has a different idea of how to store private keys than a multi-billion dollar company that has a board of directors and certain obligations and uh, and so on and so forth. So I, I think all of that will have to change necessarily as Bitcoin grows and develops. And yes, currently, if you want to use it in a self-sovereign way as a private individual, it's a little bit involved and you have to learn a thing or two. And it's also a little bit scary, of course. I mean, it's, you know, like you're literally your own bank. You have to take matters into your own hand. You have to decide for yourself what Bitcoin is. And you have to make sure that you're doing things correctly because there is nobody in the world that can help you. Like if you, if you mess up, then that's it. <laughs> and that's that's scary for people. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that it doesn't sell well. Yeah. It is tricky. I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep trying. And I know yeah, I'm going to get I, there eventually with my own node. And and you shouldn't. Like I, I think and I think a lot of a lot of Bitcoiners have the, the same opinion. I think I think it's kind of a moral obligation to try to to try to be a better Bitcoiner. Just like it's a moral obligation to try to be a better person so that society might be better. And in, in the Bitcoin sense, I think that's also where a lot of the toxicity comes from, that uh, you you just want to encourage people as well to just do it and try it. And it's it's not that hard once you start it, but it's very, very hard to get into it and actually look at it. And we all know it's a struggle. So um, yeah, I think, again, it's I think once you realize what Bitcoin is and what it has the potential to become and what actual societal problems it has the potential to fix if we do this thing correctly, if we don't fall into the easy traps that we had uh, in the fiat system, then it, it, it kind of becomes a moral obligation to tell other people to do that as well and take the responsibility and do it correctly and go through the pain of learning all that and, and just... Just do it yourself and figure it out and uh, everyone will be better for it, I think. Yeah, I think it took me a lot longer to realize this than maybe it does other people. Uh, I spent a long time kind of fighting against some of these ideas that you should really try these things and the toxicity. I used to think the toxicity was unnecessary and, um, you know, that, that I, should, I don't need to run a no, you know, all these things that I've been told over and over again by the same people and have the plebs shout at me for. Um, I think it took me a lot longer to kind of realize these things. And I don't know why, but 
the last, I would say the last year, I've felt a real shift in myself and my own thinking. Um, and I think it's the convergence of a few things, you know, um, specific things like getting my bank account closed down by the banks with 65 days notice, um, watching, literally watching some of my money inflate away in front of me. And I know it's slow and insidious, but basically I run my business on dollars and, uh, but I operate in the UK and uh, nearly 18% of purchasing power has been lost in, in the last year, top to bottom, uh, dollar versus the pound, which is a problem for me. So many different things have happened and 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 and, and converged onto this point now where I'm like, oh shit, I'll finally get it after four years. Yeah, um, I mean, it takes a while to to understand it and maybe also change your views on on toxicity and learn how it is kind of. I would say it's kind of understandable and also in a way important. And I, I'd actually like to dig into that a little bit because I think some of mm. the some of the toxicity also comes with experience. Um, I think it it takes a lot of character. Some some OGs still have the patience of an angel, you know, and they, they will go on Reddit and they will go on Twitter and they will explain to newbies the same thing they did for the last 10 years all over again. And they will explain everyone why this and that can't work and why Bitcoin works the way it works and the, all the trade-offs that it makes and so on. So so some some toxicity, I think, comes with experience because... You, you know, like in, in the one commercial where the guy is, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And that's just, if you've mm -hmm. been in Bitcoin for like five, six, seven, eight years, you've seen it all. You've, it's all the scams all over again because there are just, <laughs> there are just like there, there might be five to 10 different ways how you can scam people. And Bitcoiners have seen it all. So, so you can get toxic really quickly because it's just the same shit all over again. And why why do you want to even waste yep. your time on it? You know, like it's 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 kind of a, a time saving. <laughs> There's such a thing as a time saving toxicity as well. You know, just like Satoshi said, if you don't believe me or don't get it, I don't have the time to try to convince you. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's. I, it basically, yeah. I don't have time to argue with you about it. Uh, there, there are lots of things to be built. There's, there's more important things that I can do with my time. And I can't argue why proof of stake doesn't work with you for the 50th time, you know? It's, it's just, if you don't get it, sorry, do, do some more research. Learn it on your own, you know? It's your ob obligation mm -hmm. to learn it. It's not my obligation to explain it to you. And with, but with that being said, you know, there are still Bitcoiners that do nothing else all day than explain this stuff to newbies that are just willing to listen and have an, have an open mind. Like there are people on Clubhouse right now, probably, you know, NBK and others are probably on Clubhouse right now and they have been for like 12 hours straight and they're explaining with the patience of an angel to everyone who's mm. willing to listen. But if someone comes in and is like, you know, I just learned about Bitcoin and I, I, I'm going to tell you how to fix it and I'm going to tell you what's broken and they, they have no idea what they're talking about, then you can expect Bitcoiners to be toxic. And it's also a defense mechanism, you know, like the, it, Bitcoiners were <laughs> attacked and laughed at and just for the for the last 10 years, pretty much straight up, you know, and and <laughs> it, it's no surprise to me that some, some have... Uh, a toxic reaction to all of that, uh, as they should be, I think. Yeah, I agree. Look, one of the things, um, one of the ideas I've been thinking about a lot recently is that your first Bitcoin lesson takes four years. You know, however, <laughs> however you want to think about it, it takes four years. And it doesn't matter where that four years starts in a cycle, but you have to go through a whole cycle. You have to experience a full bear market and you have to experience a, a, 
you have to experience a full bear market and a bull market because you see all the dynamics at play. And um, it's funny, I've got two sets of notes here. There's the things I wanted to talk to you about, but the notes that I uh, took when I was listening to your book. Um, and one of like uh, I always feel sometimes like it's, as a Bitcoiner, am I being like too much of a Bitcoiner? You know, think about this too deeply. But actually, one of the most important things that's happened to me over that four years, you know, but my own uh, considerations regarding patience and and uh, um, in terms of my considerations or understanding of money or wealth creation. So I think you have to go through that four years. And if I look back four years ago when I first entered, and I was thinking. Yeah, it's going to be a world of blockchains, and we're going to have private blockchains, and we're going to have a theory, and like all these shit coins. And I was like trying to defend them and thought they were something. And now we're here in this new bull market, and I've just got myself into arguments with people about Cardano and NFTs and all kinds of bullshit. And I'm just, I don't have the patience and, anymore. And so those who do, you know, I celebrate them. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the reason is that you you've seen all of this already you've seen it in 2017 you know like it was mm-hmm. everything was called a little bit different uh, there i mean you know like some of the some of the shitcoin projects that now uh, are popular again existed back then as well or were started back then but the the underlying problems didn't change and also the arguments didn't change the arguments one could even argue got worse because the arguments from the bitcoin side got better i think our collective understanding of Bitcoin, what it does, where it's useful, how it works, what the trade-offs are, are more solid than they were four years ago. And I think the the arguments why you need Shitcoin X to run this project, they, they just got worse and worse and worse. And I, I feel like <laughs> some scammers don't even try anymore. You know, it's just like, we'll just double down on the marketing and we can't even coherently tell you what this thing does, but just buy all these tokens and get rich with us, you know, like that's basically what it comes down to it. And it's, I think that's that's another underappreciated part of the toxicity is that a lot of it is truly trying to be protective. A lot of, you know, the meme where, where mm. the Bitcoiner is in front of the sleeping newbie and uh, catching all the fire and knives and everything. And it's just, most Bitcoiners got completely wrecked. Most Bitcoiners had a shitcoin face. And if you had a shitcoin face, the, the likelihood that you got completely wrecked is very high. And you just, like, I don't want to see my friends go through that. And I don't want to see other people, innocent people, go through that. I don't want to see innocent people fall for all the marketing scams. And and uh, they, they could be, you know, like, they could be stacking good Bitcoin. <laughs> if they, if they, mm-hmm. if they would not be falling for all the bullshit, they could, that's, that's why stacking sets is, is so powerful and so important, you know, just stay humble. Try to understand Bitcoin as completely as you can and just start stacking sets today. Set up auto DCA. Don't even think about it. And and just don't don't try to time the markets. Don't try to be smarter than the market. Don't try to, you know, be smarter than everyone else because you discovered shitcoin number 735 on CoinMarketCap and you think it's gonna pump forever or whatever. And it's it's just we went through all that and we are trying to protect you from doing all these stupid mistakes. And you can also tell that sometimes it works. Like I'm, I'm really surprised and I'm pleasantly surprised by the class of 2020 that got into Bitcoin very recently. And they didn't, I think, I think most of them or some of them at least, they didn't need to have this whole four-year cycle. You can see radical personal transformations in some of those people and they, they truly understand it and they also understand what Bitcoin is about, what it's trying to do, that essentially it's about the separation of money and state and 
becoming more mm-hmm. self-serving and taking responsibility for your finances and, and and what you do financially and how you do your savings and stuff like that. And so it's it's yeah, it's a very hopeful phenomenon that some people seem to be catching on very, very quickly, uh, including millionaires and billionaires, you know, like Michael Saylor famously, it took him like two or three mm-hmm. months and he he probably has a deeper understanding of some of the aspects than than some Bitcoiners that have been around for a while. So it's uh, it's very good to see. So I think the, the education and the outreach and the patience and the toxicity, it, it kind of pays off in the end. Yeah, you say that though, but I don't know. I feel like my feed is awash with shitcoinery at the moment to like epic levels. Uh, the Cardano people, I was kind of ripping on them recently, just making some jokes, and they were vicious. It's like hundreds, maybe thousands of them just coming in at us. I was like, whoa, do you know, I can't even be bothered with this. It's actually, even ripping on them is a waste of time because of the the, the stuff that comes back. It just became a bit too much. But anyway, listen, I could talk about shit coins and shit coiners, but there's so much other more interesting things to talk about with you. I'll t- tell you something that really stood out to me when I was reading your book, is that perennial question that comes up, like, what is Bitcoin? And I've always been trying to articulate a response. I've done a couple of interviews recently and you know, I've been trying to explain it to my friends. But it's always like a really difficult question to answer. And you talk about this in the book. You talk about, you know, you can latch onto a specific subject such as it's gold 2.0, you know, whatever it is. But actually, it is so weirdly big that sometimes I've, I, you know, when I was walking this morning listening to your book again, I was like trying to answer it sometimes does it a disservice because when you're trying to answer it in a you know simple and easy way for someone to understand you miss out on so much so i almost feel like now I, I rather than just trying to explain what it is it's just to say look you just have to go and get in the rabbit hole like here's rather than say bitcoin is this here's some instructions go and do these few things and then see how you get on and then come back and talk to me because i i feel like just trying to describe it's too difficult now does that yeah, make any I think sense so too. Absolutely. I think, you know, my recommendation to everyone, and I I made this recommendation for a while, so like I'd say for the last two years at least, maybe even three, is just buy a little bit. Just get skin in the game, mm-hmm. you know? Everything else will will go from there. Just And, and the best thing, I, I think, to get skin in the game is to set up auto DCA. Like it's because buying it once and forgetting about it, you will, you will mess up, you know, like you will, you will delete your wallet. You, you will lose your backup, whatever you, you won't write down your seed phrase you, because you can't understand all that. You can't understand how important it is. And the question what Bitcoin is, is, is I think impossible to answer because Bitcoin, Bitcoin is, it truly is different things to different people. It's like, that's not just a meme, you know, like Bitcoin is different things to different people and Bitcoin just exists. You can use it as you want to use it and you can view it and see it and understand it as you want to understand it. As long as you align with with Bitcoin's soul, so to speak, like as long as you don't break consensus, it doesn't matter. Like it's it's what you want to see this, you know, like you can have the view that it's um, it's like a settlement layer. You can have the view that Budion voiced a lot that it's just a, a protocol for value transfer and it doesn't matter what comes in at the one end and comes out at the other end. Volatility isn't important because you can do it in the, in the span of like a few minutes. So you cancel out all the volatility and you can send around money all across the world. And there's the store of value savings aspect. And if you want to use it as the best money the world has ever seen and use it as a, as a savings vehicle first and foremost, that's what you can do. Uh, and it's 
you know, that's also how Bitcoin works. You know, again, like you have to take responsibility. You hold the keys. You are in charge, and you have to be. You validate the rules. It's all about you, and it's you define what Bitcoin is with your note and with your understanding of it. And nobody can tell you what Bitcoin is. You define what Bitcoin is, and that's what's behind Don't Trust Verify. And that's. Like, that's the whole idea of it. You are in charge and you're in charge of your Bitcoin. And that's also the idea behind the, toxic the, to the toxicity in some sense, because if you don't like it, you can fork off, you know, like propose a change, create a system that is at least 10x or 100x better, because otherwise the network switching costs would be way too high. And if you don't like it, you can do what you want. Like nobody, nobody has to convince you. Economic reality will take care of the adoption of Bitcoin. It, it will, the incentives will take care of the rest. And it's just, there is no point in trying to convince every naysayer. And we don't, we don't need to, you know, like as Pierre Rochard said, Bitcoin, like people will use Bitcoin because they will have to eat, period. And once you understand that, you, you, you are a long way of like, you have understood a lot once you understand that, because that means understanding monetary history, that means understanding the monetary properties of different monies and the monetary properties of Bitcoin, that means understanding network effects, that means understanding how resilient Bitcoin is, and so on and so forth. And that's where we're at, you know? Like, again, if you don't like it, <laughs> if you don't like something about Bitcoin, write a BIP, or if you don't like it at all, you can fork off. Just don't don't tell us don't come back whining and tell us how bitcoiners were mean and <laughs> how it's all our fault and how bitcoiners are to blame um, that everyone is poor now we try to warn you we try to explain it to you and if you don't want to listen and if you don't want to understand then this is on you again like the responsibility is on you and that's what it is in my opinion about bitcoin do you know what the, there's some things about bitcoin's history that are also uncanny because when you said there we tried to warn you the interesting thing, I would say, for example, is the birth of Bitcoin was after the 2008 financial crisis, which you know, was a global crisis, impacted a lot of people. Uh, it didn't directly impact me too much. It didn't really change my life too much. But what's happened since then is we, we've kind of seen this really slow car crash that's really accelerated through this pandemic. And the timing of Bitcoin, not only the timing of its birth, um, but also the timing of it's, let's say, I would, cause what I would say is over the last year, especially, and maybe two to three years, it's gone from that kind of nerdy toy to that very serious, whether you call it a commodity, money, whatever, uh, financial asset. It's become very serious with the likes of Tesla and uh, uh, Michael Saylor and Square and Jack Dorsey and Fidelity and you know, all these different kind of uh, very serious players. It's now a very serious financial asset. And again, that's, that's its maturity has really, you know, its, its, its adulthood is really happening at a time when, again, it is needed. Um, and the, the timing is uncanny with everything that's happened this year. We've just seen the ECB announcements this week. We've had the 1.9 trillion, further 1.9 trillion, we should say, in the US. Like, the just do you, don't you find the timing uncanny? Like, if this was a script, it would almost be perfect. Yeah, um, you can definitely see it that way. And it, it seems very serendipi um, serendipitous, <laughs> if that's the mm. right word. <laughs> um, but I also think, you know, there is never a bad time for hard money. And if Bitcoin mm -hmm. wouldn't exist, people would find other ways to store their wealth. And we, we see this already, like 
Bitcoin is still so, so, so small. I mean, you know, you have the phenomenon of TikTok investors and they're trying to speculate in the stock market just to, to yeah, not only to get rich, but also to, to not get poor, you know, just to, trying, to, trying mm-hmm. to have something for their earned wealth. And we would see a resurgence in gold and, and real estate and other things, I think. Um, it, it seems very perfect now, but I think all fiat monies are doomed. It's just the nature of fiat monies. We, we see this over and over and over again. If you have the power to mani- manipulate the currency, you will inevitably use it. And it, it also, you know, like no wonder we, for example, we, we had a global pandemic. So there was, um, according to some, that's good enough reason to manipulate the money supply in an extreme way. Historically, it might have been war, you know, like World War I, World War II. It, it's very easy to justify all the money printing if you have big problems, so to speak, to deal with. So, so that's not surprising. Um, it's Now that Bitcoin exists, and I have all reasons to believe that it will continue to exist, people will use it. It's, it's a tool that you can use. And they, they will also, like, they will use it as they see fit according to their circumstances. And in the US now, and in other countries as well, it's it's obvious that the money supply inflates. It's obvious that the purchasing power of the US dollar is diminishing and will diminish further. So people will flee into Bitcoin for that reason alone. But in other countries, it might be different reasons. You know, like if, if you live in, in an authoritarian surveillance state and you want to do business or other things um, where, where the government can't see every step that you take and or you just want to do business with people and and maybe your bank or your government says no you can't do business with those people they will use bitcoin for different reasons you know like it's it's a tool that is that it's there it's a very powerful tool and again like like other powerful tools you will have to learn how to use it as well you know it's the same with cars it's the same with guns you can't just put like a 14-year-old into a car and assume that everything will go dandy. And you can't just give anyone like a, a powerful weapon and just assume they won't hurt themselves. And Bitcoin is very similar, you know, like I'm not saying you need a license to use Bitcoin, but I'm saying it's a powerful tool and a powerful weapon, if you will. And you need to know and learn how to wield it. And otherwise you will hurt yourself or you will hurt others. That's okay. That's a very interesting topic. Very interesting concept whereby you need to learn how to wield it because, yes, uh, again, I was trying to relate this to personal things. I would have a lot more Bitcoin right now if I had wielded my Bitcoin or understand a Bitcoin a lot better four years ago. And I didn't, but that's fine. You know, that's we've all got a wreck story, it just doesn't really matter. Um, but that power to damage others, can you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, harm others. Of course, you know, like for Bitcoin, it's very easy. If you don't care about your on-chain privacy, this has effects on other people as well. Like your, like your footprint on, on, on the very transparent blockchain, it is always entangled with others. So depending, and this is not only for individuals, it's also for, for exchanges and, and other large players that interact with the network. If you don't do those kind of things properly, you can absolutely damage others as well. You know, it's 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 just the nature of the beast, and you need you have to learn, and and you need to know what you're doing, and you 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 need to do your best. I think you have again a moral obligation to to try to reduce the harm to yourself and the harm to others. It's a really interesting point, actually, because a few moments ago you mentioned about yeah you know, introducing new people to Bitcoin, and the first thing you say is just go and buy some. 
and maybe set up an auto DCA because you get the skin in the game. And again, I think just maybe, perhaps, I think that's what's probably happened this year then, Gigi, in that um, when I moved all my company profits into Bitcoin, um, yeah, I had much more skin in the game. It, it became, I guess, the success and the continuation of Bitcoin became much more, uh, uh, it became much more entwined with my life. And I think that's perhaps why I've become a little bit more, I wouldn't say toxic, but certainly a little bit hardened in my view, that realization that, okay, I need a node, I'm going to battle through this. Because it's essentially kind of like my life and a lot of my children's life depends on this now. So it's kind of that responsibilities come with. Yeah, I think you're making a good point there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, like that's not a unique experience. It's it's also why um, I put it as the first lesson in my book. Bitcoin changes you. It's not the other way around. Like you don't change Bitcoin. We saw that in yep. the past. It's it's impossible to change Bitcoin pretty much. But Bitcoin will change mm-hmm. you for exactly that reason because it forces you to adopt this personal responsibility. And it also forces you kind of, since we're still in the exponential adoption phase, uh, it forces you to lower your time horizon as well. Like it, 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 uh, to extend your time horizon and lower your time preference. Like you, you will plan for the future mm-hmm. and you will think about the future more because... It's it's obvious if you've been around for a little bit that the Bitcoin you spend today you will probably regret in the future. So you will plan oh, more for the future. That becomes a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, but but that's it's a, true. That becomes like, a tricky one. That's no, part, you're right. But like, sorry to interrupt. God, no, you fit. You fit. You finish. But that's that's how I see it. How Bitcoin changes you. Um, it it forces you to adopt personal responsibility for your finances and also for the network in part because. You will, you will want, as you said, you will want to run your own node if you have a meaningful amount mm-hmm. of money in Bitcoin. You will want to validate it yourself. You don't want to trust others because that's just not good. And if you know anything about Bitcoin and why Bitcoin exists, that's just obvious. And the other thing is it will lower mm. your time preference. It's it's just the nature of, of the soundest money we ever had, of the hard money it represents. It's if, if Bitcoin continues to survive and the incentives and monetary properties don't change, and we don't have any reason to believe that they will change, then this will just continue to happen. And so you you will get better of not spending your Bitcoin. You will get better of planning for the future. And that's that's why Bitcoin changes you. I'm, I'm convinced of that. And I, I, I would also argue it changes you for the better. Like there's nothing bad about taking care of yourself and taking care of your future self and taking care of your family and taking on personal responsibility and just also trying to understand this thing. I don't I don't think it's it's... I don't think it can be bad, really. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right, but it, that it is that interesting point where you, you, the the Bitcoin you spend now that you regret in the future. Um, but at some point, you've got the you've got that balance of uh, the two scarce items that you mentioned in the book is Bitcoin and time, because uh, ultimately you want to live your life with fulfilling experiences. So. You know, at some point, it's like okay, well, maybe I want to spend some of that Bitcoin and do some things. But oh, but what if I don't? What if I wait another year and Bitcoin will be a hundred thousand? Or if I wait five years, it'll be in a million. It's a it's a really tricky balance to make because the price is so un. I mean, it's there's certain predictable elements like bull markets and bear markets, but where they top and where they go up, very unpredictable. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I tweeted something out uh, quite a while ago that the hardest thing about getting into Bitcoin is dropping the fiat mindset. So, of course, the price is important. And of course, price as a metric is a very healthy indicator of the network as a whole. It it drives adoption, it drives security, it's 
Like all of that is embedded in price, in the price met metric. But if you are in Bitcoin to cash back out into, into dollars or, or euros or the fiat money of your choice, I think you didn't grasp the full impact of what is going on currently yet. I think, you know, by all means, don't chastise yourself. Treat yourself from time to time. If like if mm. if you got super rich with Bitcoin, there's there's nothing wrong with maybe even buying a house or or something like that. Or you always wanted to have this this nice car. Treat yourself, but just oh. be careful of 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 thinking like, oh, now I have, I don't know, just ten million, whatever, and now I'm cashing out, and I, I live off of these like ten million US dollars for the rest of my life because. I don't think yeah. like if if you're that will melt. <laughs> if if you're in your 20s or 30s the rest of your life is still you know quite a long while and the US dollar won't be around for the rest of your life baby and bitcoin will be you know like that's the that's the that's the difference and that's what I um what I mean when I say dropping the fiat mindset you you, you will have to start thinking in bitcoin and you will have to start thinking in sats and what matters is the sats you have on your balance sheet you know like if if mm -hmm. every single day you have more Satoshis to your name than the day before it, it was a good day. And even if you spend a little bit or whatever you do, like it, it doesn't matter. Treat, treat yourself from time to time. But just what, what you should have in mind and what you should have an eye on is your Satoshi balance and not your US dollar or euro or whatever balance. Yeah, I, I, I half agree. Um, and I mainly agree because I, I know directionally where we're going. I know what's happening to the pound. I see it. I see what's happening. I, I see what my government's doing. I see what's happening with the dollar. And I see what's, I, I kind of, you can see the future based on what's happening in other countries. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not in that position whereby, well, firstly, I don't have 10 million of Bitcoin. But if I did, I'm not thinking, oh, I have to want to cash that out. But at certain times, you might, you know, you might want that house. Um, it was Marty, Marty Malmi who did that really good tweet thread where he talked about, you know, having 50,000 Bitcoin and then he bought a house and, you know, and I think, I think at some point you've got to, you know, there's certain balance of things like right now is, you know, I've got a certain amount of time till my kids move away and it'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we did have a different house that we lived in or we went on this holiday? So it is that balance of t those two scarce resources, Bitcoin and time, the only two scarce resources that matter. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, nobody can make these kind of decisions for you. You have to make them for yourself. No, in, in the end, the question is, what what do you value more, and how how do you calculate the risk of, for example, the housing market collapsing? Maybe the house gets super cheap in like five years from now, or the US mm -hmm. dollar collapsing, or the euro collapsing, or the eurozone dissolving, or the Bitcoin network stopping. You know, like there is there is a risk in everything, and you have to make a decision. Yourself, what do you value more? How do you see the future playing out? What is more likely to happen? And of course, you know, like if, if you're like um, Bitstein and Pierre Rochard, uh, like five, six years ago, they saw all that coming and they were called crazy people, you know? Now it's not so crazy anymore. Now, the, mm -hmm. now you know, like as, as time goes on, I think the Bitcoin uh, thesis will become more and more obvious because again, it's, it is in the nature of fiat money to disappear, to be replaced by another fiat money, to collapse, to hyperinflate, it, fiat monies go away. Like we have, we have a graveyard of fiat monies. And the, I mean, if you've ever seen the graphs of the purchasing power of the US dollar or similar fiat currencies, it's abysmal. Mm -hmm. You know, so so you don't need a PhD yep. to to understand where things are going. And if you have ever seen a, a graph of the purchasing power of of Bitcoin, you you also don't need a PhD to see where things are going. So to me, it's obvious 
what what you want to own and what you maybe want to rent. You know, like there's this saying uh, around Bitcoin is to just buy Bitcoin and rent everything else. And I think the next 10 years or so, that might be a very smart choice. I intend to do that. And it, it doesn't matter how much I have because what, what do you need? What, what am I doing with the house? You know, like <laughs> a house is an obligation as well. It, it all depends on your life circumstances. I'm still r- relatively young. Um, I still, you know, I'm flexible enough to to do those kind of things. If you want to settle down, if, if you're in your 60s or, or whatever, and you want to buy a big house for your family and your grandchildren, go ahead, do it. Like it, everyone has to make this personal decision for themselves. So you've have you adopted a full Bitcoin standard? Um, you must still have to use some amounts of fears. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, I'm. <laughs> there was a time when I was <laughs> 100% on the Bitcoin standard um, and I was earning Bitcoin and, and not fiat. Uh, I'm, I'm back to earning fiat and some Bitcoin. So uh, I think I'm, in the, I'm, I'm, I'm... I think I'm in the same boat like... Uh, Michael Thiel is like I, I have everything that I don't need in the next like couple of months in Bitcoin, and uh, yeah. I think if you're serious about this, it will happen on its own accord just in a couple of years' time. Because if you allocate just ten percent, twenty percent to Bitcoin, wait five years and it will be like ninety plus percent. So you're all in Bitcoin. Yeah, anyway. yeah. You know, like it's it's just. It seems to be the nature of the game, and again, we have no no reason to to see the changing. Even even though you know, like as I said before, our view of Bitcoin might change, and what Bitcoin represents might change as well. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting thing you say about Sailor. Um, yeah, I, I operate eight eight weeks cash flow business, personal. Everything goes into Bitcoin. I don't know. Again, I don't know how I would do that the same in a bear market because there's different risks associated with a. I've got a team of eight employees now, so there's different risks. But I think the, one of the most interesting things that Michael Saylor's done, I've brought this up a couple of times recently, it's not these, it's not the big initial purchase and it's not the, uh, the, the massive loans he's taken. I actually think it's these tweets that come, I think there's been two or three now where it's his, um, he comes out and says, we've put you know, 10 million of profit into Bitcoin. He's stacking sats just at a much higher level than everyone else. But I think that's a really important message that he's putting across. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's stacking full Bitcoin, you know, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, he's, we, uh, we, he's, he's, he's million dollar cost averaging. Yeah, but that's exactly what he's doing, you know. And um, you you know, like you can't be of two minds of that. It's, it's kind of sad that the time is running out for the small guy to front run the institutions. And on the other side, it's amazing how far Bitcoin has come and that we have institutional adoptions and that we see billionaires not only putting it on their balance sheet, not just a little bit, but just moving straight on to a Bitcoin standard because they, they understood it's the harder money, it's the better asset. You don't want to hold fiat money. And it's the smart thing to do. And if you don't need the money, mm. why not park it in Bitcoin until you need it? And, and as Sailor said, you know, like he, he wants to park it for the next 100 years. And, and that's, that's quite something. And I think you know, it has to do with something that Plan B laid out uh, a while ago. Think of his model, what you will. But um, I really like the, the framing of having different phases, Bitcoin having different phases. And it went from like proof mm. of concept to like cypherpunk money to like, you know, darknet money and so on. And we, we as I said before, you know, like our, our view of Bitcoin has changed and I think it will change in the f- future as well. And also, um, as you know, I, I joined Swan recently and we saw mm-hmm. a growing demand 
as well, you know, from businesses and high net worth individuals and all around the world. And that's why, why we adapted as well. And we launched Swan Private and we have now this concierge service for corporations and high net worth individuals that want to do the same thing that, that Sailor wants to do. And if someone wants to, like, I, of course, there are multiple services that, that, that do that now. But I, I'm, just, I, I'm just saying, like two years ago, we didn't see this demand. It was, Bitcoin was a different nope. thing. And now it's something else. And now if you have a lot of cash and not too many expenses, like if, if, you, have, <laughs> if you have money to spare, it might be a very smart decision to park it in Bitcoin and not on your bank account. And more and more people are doing it all around the world. And of course, the Bitcoiners were the crazy ones at first. And now you could also argue the CEOs that are doing it are kind of crazy as well, because it still is kind of a crazy move. But I think this also relates to to the fact that Bitcoin kind of tends to select for the extremes in personality times, you know, like you, you have to be kind of crazy still to be in Bitcoin. I mean, you definitely had to be crazy to be in Bitcoin like eight years ago and it, it got less and less over time, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it selects for this, the, the extreme risk takers and also for extreme disagreeable people, because you have to say, fuck you to the legacy system and to, you have to be able to say, fuck you to everyone else. And, and you also need to have an extreme disregard for authority because that's what Bitcoin is about well like you 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 kind of have to do everything yourself and if someone like nobody again nobody can tell you there's no authority to tell you what bitcoin is so if you have an intrinsic disregard for authority then you might find bitcoin very early you know and i i would put you in this category as well you know i i I think (laughs) i think um um yeah, you, you're also in, in some sense an extreme personality and you definitely have a disregard for authority, I would say. And this is just, yep. now the CEOs are coming in. And the CEOs that are more extreme and the high net worth individuals that are more extreme on, on those spectra of personality types, they will say, yeah, Bitcoin is amazing. And if if you're on the other extreme of, of the personality spectrum, then you will think Bitcoin is absolutely crazy and everyone that uses it is absolutely crazy. So yeah, that's my my take on, on all that. Yeah, it's funny. I had the exact same conversation with Janine yesterday from uh, Block Digest. We were talking about it attracting slightly crazy people. So it's funny you should say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you're right. I mean, look at Elon Musk. Um, you know, he essentially moved... Uh, a lot of his operations from California to Texas because he was fed up of the um, uh, the governance in California. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he doesn't give a give a fuck. I'm sure he'll he'll stand up to authority and and, and he's the kind of person we need in Bitcoin. Whenever the you know, if we ever see some increased regulatory pressure, he's the kind of person we know who could stand up to that, which is uh, which is certainly a very a very healthy thing. Uh, also, adding to this, there's a couple of things that are happening right now, like. I've got. I have, and I think a lot of people have, is this expectation of, well, is it going to be a bull market, and then will we have another three-year bear market? But I do think there is some weight behind Dan Held's idea of a potential super cycle because there is a there is a big difference in this what's happening right now. Now, whereas before in previous cycles, where you said, you know, you said people got their fiat mindset, you would think, well, where's the market going to top? Because I'm going to exit. There is actually that fear that you time it wrong and you lose Bitcoin. Uh, uh, which is entirely possible. Uh, secondly, we've got this growing, I know no, it's not the most popular uh, area of Bitcoin, but we have got this growing market for borrowing and lending Bitcoin, which kind of stops you having to sell if you don't want to. 
Um, and also, we've got people starting to adopt this kind of Bitcoin standard, like Sailor is, like I am, like you am, where you, where you are, where you have this kind of eight-week mindset that makes me think perhaps we won't see that same kind of three-year bear market. Maybe we will. But there's, there's, some, there's something different happening during this cycle. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, it definitely feels different, but I, I don't, I don't think the cycles are over. And I, I have some data points to kind of. Um, so <laughs> I'm not saying I'm right, but I think there is also reason to believe that most people haven't learned. And we saw that in the headlines <laughs> as well. You know, like there, there are CEOs now or or CFOs that um, just believe in the double spend fund and they will sell millions of Bitcoin in in a heartbeat, like US oh, dollar, man. millions of US dollars worth of Bitcoin. And Who was that company? I I don't remember the name of the company, and oh, we shouldn't yeah. we we shouldn't remember the name of the company. Like this this company no. will be forgotten soon enough. But it's it's just you know it's still. All part of human psychology and dropping the fiat mindset is really difficult. It's really difficult, and it's mm. especially difficult if you if Bitcoin tanks again and goes through bear market and and you know like bear market quote unquote. I, I mean I think things will get very crazy again and everyone will get super greedy and Bitcoin will shoot up like you know like a maniac and it has to crash down again and then we will see about the lending markets and all the other things that play with um even if it's over collateralized but um it, it, you know like <laughs> all these financial products assume that bitcoin stays in certain bounds and i'm not convinced that bitcoin will ever stay in certain bounds for the next i don't know 10 mm. years or so <laughs> um it might be you know who knows but we saw drastic crashes that not a lot of people anticipated in the past. And I'm not sure if all the financial products could kind of survive that, or at least the people that use them, you know, like it's, um, all of it has risk. And yes, I, I like the idea as well of not having to sell your Bitcoin. And if you can take out a Bitcoin back loan to buy a house or something, it, it might be the smarter thing to do. But yeah, we'll see about that. The time will tell. And it all depends on your risk appetite. And, and uh, again, what, it's it's your personal decision how you see it and what you think is risky and what is not. Yeah, I do another interesting thing that was coming to my mind that I've thought about recently and definitely thought about it again listening to your book. Uh, again, by the way, I, I think I really liked your book. I tell you what I think about it. I think it should be it shouldn't be the people's first Bitcoin book, and I mean this as a compliment. <laughs> um, and I and, and I and I don't have a specific recommendation for what should be someone's first book. I feel like it's the book I probably needed six months in, you know, when I was struggling with certain concepts, when I, I didn't know where to, you know, direct myself, whether I should be the technical, the economics, or all of it. I felt like listening to your book is like, oh, if I'd had this six months in, this would have been a lot of reassurance on certain topics, and it would have directed me to things I wanted to learn about. Whereas I think as a first book, there's a there's a bit too much assumed knowledge, but I, I mean this in a, a complimentary way. I, I hope you understand what I'm getting at. But one of the really interesting things is it's quite a philosophical book. Um, and there's also a lot of yeah, books out there that study Bitcoin in so many different ways. Sometimes wonder, like, did Satoshi have any idea really what he was creating? Like the you know, the actual grand nature of it all? Or do you think he was just trying to solve one problem and these are just these are all the natural conclusions of fixing the money? Or do you think he really knew the impact this would have? It, I mean It'd be a fascinating question to have answered by him, but I doubt we ever will. Yeah, I, I think 
Satoshi had a deep understanding of of many things, but I also think that it's impossible to know what w- <laughs> how people will use your invention. You know, like there are mm. some obvious examples, like uh, I don't know, take Viagra for example. It used to be a, a heart medication. You you don't know what it's good for and how people will use it in the end. And you can also you you can never know the second order effects of of your invention as well. Nobody would have mm. guessed that. The combustion engine, the internal combustion engine, would change the planet as drastically as it has. You know, like in terms of building roads, in terms of changing the composition of the atmosphere, other things. So it's it's very very hard to talk about these things. I think some of the early writings are illuminating. That uh, especially also from uh, from Hal Finney talking about what a global adoption might look like, also in terms of price, talking about Bitcoin banks, talking about institutional adoption, uh, also some comments from Satoshi talking about, you know, like large server farms that will do the mining and so on and so forth. So uh, I think uh, Satoshi saw some of those things coming, but he also, like, he tried to solve a couple different problems at once. He, he tried to solve the surveillance problem, he tried to solve the micropayments problem, and he tried to solve the inflation hard money problem. And he solved kind of all of them, you know? And so it's, mm. which one is more important? You don't, you don't know. Currently, it seems the sound money one is the most important. But it's, it's because most of the world doesn't live in an authoritarian hellhole. If this would be the case, if everyone was living in China, the pseudonymity, anonymity aspect of Bitcoin might be way more important. And if we are further down the road in terms of everyone gets canceled, not only from YouTube and Twitter, but also from from their payment providers, the micropayment platform thingy might be more important. And we would be further along with Lightning and other technologies building up on Bitcoin. So it's it's very hard to to answer this. I think it's, again, impossible to to uh, see where, where your invention might be going. Dude, the UK is becoming that surveillance nightmare right now. <laughs> yeah, you have the most I mean, CCTV just... cameras per square meter, I think, right? Or something like it. <laughs> we do. And that, I mean, look, that does have benefits on occasions. Um, I, I don't know if you've followed the story of the girl that went missing in the UK this week. No, I didn't. Yeah, so a young girl, uh, God, this is a really awful story. So I knew her. She was a friend of mine. She worked for me for five years. Um, She went missing in central London this week. Um, And unfortunately, it looks like um, she's she's been murdered. Um, We don't know because they haven't identified the body. But the reason the police officer who did this was caught is that he was caught on a bus camera. And look, I know there's lots of ways to spin that and look at that. There are certain benefits to the safety of people especially um young women in in a place like london with a lot of surveillance but the uk is also becoming a bit of a hellhole for other things um so i tweeted out this morning that the uh, have you heard of the investigatory power act or the snoopers charter no basically a new secret tool so it's a new secret tool which basically tracks all your internet activity yeah, nothing good will come of that. I can tell you that much. I, no. I don't. I don't want to comment on these kind of issues too much because yeah. it's all very nuanced, and um, it's. I think time will make it obvious how bad something like global surveillance truly is, and I think we saw that with the Snowden, uh, like with the disclosures that Edward Snowden made, and I think people underestimate the power of 
surveillance and the amount of self-censorship and changing behavior that comes with having a lack of privacy. And if you just mm-hmm. intuitively know that you're not private anywhere, like no matter if you're at home or or just going to the bus or, or what have you, uh, in a sense, surveillance renders all other freedoms useless. Like if I lock you in a room and I, I have 20 cameras on you and I can monitor your thoughts, um, you're not a free person. You can, like, we need the freedom to think, we need the freedom to speak, we need the freedom to articulate ourselves and to express ourselves. Otherwise, uh, otherwise everything will go to hell because that's the only way how you can get out of bad situations by talking through them and thinking through them and more or less thinking is talking. So I, I see freedom of speech as paramount and I see any type of surveillance as hampering and and just muting parts of this speech and it's not it's not good and it's not a good situation to be in i think society as a whole is not in a good situation and i would also say we're not safer for it like no no amount of of (laughs) surveillance and and cctv cameras will make a safer society are you safe in china you know they have a lot of cameras as well i don't think you are i don't think it's the kind of safety i would want to have Mm, i agree with a lot of what you're saying but not everything. I, I mean, I agree with you in terms of it's important to have uh, freedom of speech, and I think it's important to have freedom of expression, and then any form of surveillance which um, uh, affects your like freedom of expression is a risk. So if you believe that you're being snooped on on the internet, and therefore you might not look at certain websites, I think that is um, an evasion of privacy that that isn't isn't worth it. But there are certain things, like for example, you know, what we talk about as Bitcoin is we have to protect our security, and one of the things I will do in protecting my own home security is have alarms and have cameras set up on the house. So those cameras will exist. Businesses will similarly do those. Um, the One of the cameras in this thing I mentioned in London, I think, was on a bus. And the buses, they need to protect the drivers because of security incidents there. So I think there is a natural growth in kind of certain surveillance technologies that exist for in the terms of protection of people. And I think if you can access those in certain scenarios, like if you're wanting to find somebody post-action, post-committing of a criminal act, I think that is worthy. I think that does make us safer. What I don't like, and I think we may come to more of an agreement on, is that is that like uh, it's like that minority report kind of idea that you're trying to prevent crime before it happens. So if you're snooping on someone on the internet to see what websites they're looking at, and then you want to arrest them based on the fact that you think they might do something, that's where we get into the tricky territory. But I do... I'm not opposed to certain levels of personal or business private surveillance for the protection of business. And I'm not opposed to that being used to capture someone post-criminal act. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. And first of all, it it, it doesn't surprise me that you disagree because you're, of course, a disagreeable person because you went into Bitcoin, (laughs) you know. But it's (laughs) you you have to make a differentiation between a global surveillance network that nobody consented to, that tries to influence and control people, and uh, something like putting up a camera in your warehouse uh, because... it's your private property or even at home, you know, like it's, there is a huge, like a world of difference between those things. And of course, you know, like you could argue one of them is security, the other one is surveillance. And it's, it it has to do with consent. It has to do with the differentiation between public and and private property. And it it has to, to do with what you are trying to achieve with it. You know, like if you want to protect yourself, okay, Go for it. But if you just want to have total control of a population, like in China, for example, like that's it has nothing to do with security of the population. 
No, no, I agree. And I think this is what my issue is with the UK at the moment, is that we are on an awful and slippery slope here. As you mentioned, like London, there's more cameras than any city in the world. We have this Snoopers charter. We have, you obviously I'm aware I'm in a lawsuit at the moment because we have no First Amendment protection. Uh, and there are many reasons these days for me to leave the UK and, and, and I most likely will at some point because it's becoming a bit of a, you know, we have a, ver- we have a very severe and uh, a decreasing amount of freedom here in the UK and I find that concerning. Yeah, and it, you should be concerned. And I think we will like we will see this kind of sovereign individual thesis play out in the in the next like mm. ten years or so. I think just like money likes to go where it's treated best, and Bitcoin will likely go towards places where it's treated best, and Bitcoin businesses will do the same thing, and also Bitcoiners will go to the places where they're treated best. And it doesn't matter if this is surveillance or security or laws or taxes. It like once the pain gets large enough, you will take matters into your own hand and you will pack your bags and you will move somewhere else. It's easy as that. I mean, you know, in general, if you've been in Bitcoin for a while, you also have the means and the connections to do so. So Mm. I I can definitely see this happening. And and a lot of people obviously talk about it in the Citadel context, but I think it's going to be just moving to a different country where Bitcoiners are treated in a better way and just humans in general are treated in a better way and maybe where your capital is treated in a better way. I think this is the first step and everything will follow from there. Next up, I talk to Gigi more about Bitcoin philosophy. But before that, I have a message from my amazing show sponsors. And we're going to kick off with Casa, the absolute very best in Bitcoin security. Someone who I've been a customer of, like it's coming up to a year now. I can't believe how quick that's gone. But I had reached out to Nick, the CEO, a while back and said, look, my security, my security is shit, man. You need to help me out. And Nick was like, look, we'll take you through it. We'll get you signed up. And I did. And look, it's given me so much peace of mind because I'm a moron, right? So I'm easily going to fuck this up at some point and lose my Bitcoin left to my own devices. But we can't. So I've got protection for that. But I'm also protected against other things, in-person attacks, device failures, and so much more. And with Bitcoin Moon in this year, some of you are making some good money. You need to get your security sorted. So you should definitely check out Casa. And look, they have a product for every Bitcoiner. They have Casa Gold, their entry-level product, which will give you triple the security of a hardware wallet, and it's only $10 a month. You can get Casa Platinum, which I've been using, which is their 3 or 5 multi-sig, or if you want the full service offering, you can get Casa Diamond, which I'm going to upgrade to, which comes with a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best in class in security. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to keys.casa, which is K-A-Y-S, .casa. Next up, we have sportsbet.io. And if you haven't heard, I had a call with them recently. God, I love these guys. I phoned them up and I was like, we're about to renew our contract. You know how much I love cars. And they're like, yeah, Pete, we know how much you love cars. I was like, what do you think about giving away a Lamborghini to one of my listeners? And they're like, yeah, that's cool. And I was like, what do you think about giving away two Lamborghinis, but one of them's to me? Because obviously I need to verify the competition and drive one. And they said, yeah, we'll do it. So, so sportsbet.io imminently are going to be giving away two Lamborghinis. <laughs> Funny, really, right? There will be a competition. It is going to be on one of their websites. It will be using some kind of game that you'll have to try out. So bear with that. But there will be a Lamborghini given away, which is, I think, is cool. I know some of you people hate cars and you just sort out your time preference, Pete. Well, I fucking love cars. So I think this is going to be cool. Now, if you haven't checked sportsbet.io out, they do have a market for everything. They've got football, tennis, 
American Sports, Moda Sports, Esports, they have everything. And they've always got new promotions available, <laughs> like Lamborghinis. So if you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And lastly today, but nobody is ever leased on what Bitcoin did, it is Exodus Wallet, who I've been using as my mobile and desktop wallet for a couple of months now. Now, I talk about this all the time. My banks closed me down. Those motherfuckers at Lloyd's, they gave me 65 days notice. They're like, screw you, Pete, we're closing down your bank accounts because we hate Bitcoin. I don't know. Maybe it's because of Bitcoin. We'll see. Anyway, fuck them, right? I'm increasingly running my show on Bitcoin. I'm increasingly getting paid. I'm increasingly getting paid. So screw it. All I need is a decent wallet. So at the end of each month, when my accountant isn't phoning me up and nagging at me saying, Pete, you haven't got your stuff in order. Like, where, where, where's this Bitcoin going? Where's it come from? Like, I needed a wallet to audit this. And when Exodus reached out to me, I was like, okay, this is cool. Your US crushes it. I'm in. So I've signed up and I'm using it. And if you want to check it out, please head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. It's still very difficult to try to get some of my friends' heads around this and understand this. They obviously are aware of what I've done as a job for the last four years. And you know, when we all meet up and talk about it, I, I still can't convince them. And and I, I know what it's like. You find Bitcoin when you need it, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what's become very visible to me, Gigi, is that this conditioning that a lot of people have to, we just live and have a state. And this idea of having no state is almost something people can't get their heads around. Or this idea that they can actually hold two fingers up, go and live somewhere else, live a different life. They have this Bitcoin lifeboat or they have this optionality to get out of it. It's it's too wild a different idea for some people to be able to get on board with. And it's it's a very hard thing to get people to. Um, I've um, I've got a show coming out today with someone we all love great and dearly at the moment, Mr. Robert Breedlove, who I think is one of the most important writers on Bitcoin right now. And we discuss a lot of the sovereign individual. Um, but I still struggled myself personally, this idea of no state. I do. I really struggle this idea. I struggle to picture what that world is like. Um, how how have you, because you, you will obviously have grown up like me, you know, living with a government where you've got parents who probably vote and, you know, politics influences your life. And then you go through this transitionary, tr- transitionary period with Bitcoin. Like, did you find that a struggle? Um, hmm. I'm not sure. Like, I always try to keep out of politics um, because mm-hmm. I always thought that what actually changes the world is to to be found somewhere else. Like, uh, again, as I said before, like the the effects of the internal like of the internal combustion engine and the effects of of the internet and the effects of the printing press on the world are way larger than any political movement you know and you could also argue for other more mundane things like uh, birth control for example and just in general sanitation you know like the fact that we have running water and uh yeah <laughs> and and just uh toilets that work changed way more in the world than any politician might might uh, thought that, <laughs> that he, he will change it. But it is difficult in terms of talking to other people about this because it's such a foreign and strange concept. And also, I, I'm, I don't think we, go, we will go um, to hyper-Bitcoinization immediately and uh, all the states will disappear. I think it will be a gradual transition and a, a shrinking of states. There, there will probably be collapse of some. But I also like the idea of... Uh, 
having city states and like uh, you know have like ten thousand different uh, Liechtenstein's and the Balaji concept. Yeah, and and just in general, I think like the sovereign individual thesis is not about completely getting rid of all states. It's more about that you are in charge and you have the power and the states that still exist, how large they they may be, they will have to fight for you. And we see this already with like, you know, digital nomads and also Bitcoiners, that if you if you want to start a business somewhere, it might be smart to go somewhere else. And we see it also, we see the reverse effect, you know, the bit license in New York, there aren't too many Bitcoin companies in New York and everyone is moving to Texas, mm. for example. And so we, we will see these kind of things play out on, on all scales. I, I think you will, people will move to different states in the US, people will move to different countries in Europe, and people will move to different continents if they have to. And yeah, that's that's how I see it developing. In terms of talking about politics and stuff like that, it's Bitcoin or not, it's impossible to talk about politics. And I think it always has been. It's especially bad today. Like I think mm. social media and the internet polarized everything to a degree that it's just impossible to have this conversation in any meaningful way. Everyone already has a predetermined view and made up their mind that it's um, the all nuance is lost. <laughs> and um, yeah. it's, yeah, it's hard. But I, I, I also think it really doesn't matter. Like, I think the, the things will play out because of other reasons, not because of politics. I think it, it, like, it's noise. It's mostly noise. And I think things like, the dematerialization of the world and things like Bitcoin, this is where the signal is to be found. And it's not to be found in politics. So it doesn't matter if you're red or blue or whatever kind of party line you might adhere to in Europe. It really doesn't matter too much. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention because you should pay attention to at least find out when you might want to leave. But in terms of voting, for example, it's way more important how you vote with your wallet and how you vote with your feet. And I think Bitcoiners and just sovereign individuals in general kind of know that intuitively. So it's like the fact that people are building businesses in Texas now and not in New York, it's way more important than you as a New Yorker maybe voting for a change. You know, like that's... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been following Balaji's ideas on this, um, the the 10,000 city concept that the vote with your feet is far more effective than the than the ballot. I, I think he's absolutely right, uh, and and I think sometimes I find I get a bit lost in that idea of you know the end of the state. I think just think what the thing we're most likely to see during our lifetime is this uh, reconfiguration of the state, whereby regulatory arbitrage will force the state to you know become competitive and provide better services. Like you said, we're seeing that with Texas. We're seeing that in Mayor Francis. We're seeing it with Estonia, Malta, Portugal, all places now where I'd never have thought of moving. But Gigi, I'm like, hmm, if I move there, they're going to be less in my business. They're going to tax me less and I can get on with doing what I, what I want to do. And that I think is, I think that's quite an interesting concept. And I'm I'm bought into that now. The I just, I have the anchors of being a parent at the moment. But yeah, that's not going to last forever. Yeah, of course. I mean, again, everyone's situation is difficult. Uh, uh, it's different, mm. and it might be difficult to move if, like, if your kids just started school. It's it's very hard on them on them to rip them out or or what have you. You know, like all every single life is different, and you have to decide this for yourself. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think this will happen no matter what. 
I'm not sure if all the states will survive this transition. I think we will have some collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, just just like with companies as well, you know, like if you're a truly big, large company, you might not survive the transition to the information age, for example. We saw that with some newspaper and publication companies, or we saw it with Blockbuster and stuff like that. If you're small and agile, it's way easier to adapt. And I think this will be true for states as well. And we can already see that play out, you know, like in Switzerland, for example, they have a very agile structure and uh, um, they only have four cantons and they're somewhat like they've uh, somewhat of a direct democracy and they can change things rather quickly. And it's not surprising to me that one of the quote-unquote crypto hubs in the world is Zug and where you can also like pay your taxes even now in, in Bitcoin and do other things. It's This will continue to, to happen if you're small and agile enough or corrupt enough to <laughs> make just a top-down change. Then um, yeah, you, you will make this transition rather easily. I, I'm not so sure about bigger constructs. I think, yeah, they will they will probably crumble under the under the pressure and they, they probably won't manage to change as quickly as they have to. It's quite wild to live through it all as well, right? I mean, we're, we're going through this transitionary period where certainly 10 years ago, a decade ago, I, I would never have thought I would be living to see something like this. My assumption was my life would continue pretty much as it as it was. But now we're, we're living through a transitionary phase, which is the kind of thing that may be documented or most likely be documented in the history books of the future. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of wild to live through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely wild. I, I think it's also not that surprising. Like a lot of people observe the fact that technology is changing exponentially and also the rate of change is exponential. And I mean, even before Bitcoin, there was a lot of literature around this concept and uh, a lot of smart people and also science fiction writers predicted some of the things that we're seeing, you know, like that space, uh, like where you are in the world, for example, doesn't matter too much anymore. And uh, it's very easy to just move, for example. And um, yeah, so the, the concept of cyberspace and just companies and people moving to cyberspace, so to speak. And I think we see that play out. And, and I, I also think it's just the beginning of it, you know, like we we see so many weird and foreign and powerful technologies. I mean, you you yourself, for example, you, you build like a media publication house, <laughs> so to speak. And now, now, of course, now you have some employees, but you did most of it uh, on your own, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can even do that, is amazing, you know, and it's all driven by technology. And the same, the same goes for people like me, you know. Like I published a book. I never intended to publish a book. I, I started writing it just as a tweet storm, and the tweet, the tweet thread got really long. So I, I put it in an article, and the article became three articles, and and people started reaching out to me, hey, where can I buy this as a book? And so I put it in the book, and it's all like I did everything on my own, like all of it, like dude, I, it's so good. Thank you, but it's also you know, like I'm. 20 years ago this wouldn't have been possible like not not at all and i don't i don't have to the reason why i was able to do that at all is that i don't have to take care about printing and publication and sending the books around and stuff like that i use amazon self publishing and it's the only way i can do it like i don't have the time in the day to even pack the boxes and go to the post office like i've a million other things to do and i just <laughs> it's not useful work for me you know like i i would never do it if if i have to take care of the logistics myself and the same goes for you know creating podcasts creating youtube shows all of it like if you would have to do mm. it 
in the same way that it had to be done like 20, 30 years ago. It's insanity, you know, it's absolute insanity. And it's also like, it's a testament to how far we've come with the internet as well, because streaming video was absolutely the impossible like 20 years ago like the stuff we are doing now it just didn't work the internet wasn't there yet we didn't have the bandwidth we didn't have the throughput we didn't have like all all the technology that makes it work it it, it just it just didn't work and and i no, think you're right i think you know it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see where things are going as well like i i see i see the stuff that we are already seeing for some extreme individuals I see this on steroids, you know, like people that live wherever they want to be, like true digital nomads and like they earn if you if you if you want to go that far, like they're going to have streaming money. If you want to work for a day or two or if you want to work for 48 hours straight, you sit down, you code, you do whatever and you generate income and the next 2 weeks you're back in I don't know at the beach surfing and doing whatever you want and and I think you know it's it's not it's not hard to imagine and I think all of it will kind of change it it will transform cities it will transform it will transform states it will transform families we see now thanks to covid as well and just because of remote work and all these possibilities we see people moving away from from the large hubs moving away from the cities back to the country raising a family having a small farm being more self-sufficient. I mean, you know, like that's a lot of Bitcoiners talk about that and it's absolutely possible mm. and also desirable. And I think the reason for that is that Bitcoin is the perfect example. If you, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley, you don't have to be in New York, you don't have to be anywhere. You have to be on Bitcoin Twitter. You have to be in cyberspace. That's where the people meet. That's where the ideas clash. That's where things are happening. That's where connections are formed. That's where friendships are built. And Everything changes that. Like the whole makeup of the earth will change because of it. And and I, yeah, I I realize that it's a like it it might sound crazy to your normie friends, but it's also obvious if you take more than ten minutes to think about it. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, look, you you can with a mobile phone, just a mobile phone, you can create a TV show or a podcast, and you can compete with the the New York Times and CNN. If enough people like what you have to say. You can compete with them. You have everything available at the touch of a button. Most of it offering free trials, or 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 you know, there's that really great book, the Hundred Dollar Startup, which talks about this. Um, you know, everyone can compete. Um, I don't know what it means long term. I don't know, you know what's going to happen to other companies, but I I, th- I think you're right. It's it's just a fascinating time and thing to live through. Um, I, I do want to ask you about something else, though. Go ahead. I want to ask you about your orange pilling of Lex Friedman and Eric Weinstein. And I think we'll, we'll touch on Jordan Peterson as well, but like the, the Eric Weinstein and um, uh, Lex Friedman thing were really interested because I think I messaged you. We were t- chatting on Telegram and I was like, so weird. I'm now in a, a clubhouse room with them. And then I realized you were in there as well. And the two of them were in there together. But I feel like they both came at it and saw Bitcoin very differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I have a lot to say about that actually. But yeah, um, it's, you know, it again, it, it loops back to toxicity and the stuff we, we discussed in the beginning. It's just, we have as Bitcoiners experienced this a million times already. Someone who has expertise in another field and thinks that he's really smart and understands it all comes in and <laughs> tells a bunch of Bitcoiners that Bitcoin is broken and he knows how to fix it. So that's basically what happened with Eric Weinstein. The old and I, I, 
exactly. Like, you know, I just heard about Bitcoin and I'm here to fix it. It's 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 the <laughs> the Superman with the Giga brain. And don't get me wrong. My problem, uh, sorry, just to interrupt, my problem with Eric Weinstein was I heard him on Lex Friedman and then I heard him in the room and I'll be honest, I struggle with most things. I didn't understand a word he was talking about. I literally didn't understand it. I was like, and I've spent a lot of time with a lot of really smart Bitcoiners and they have a way of explaining things I understand or I can question them. They get me to the point where I'll understand it. I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, I mean, that didn't help. Um, the fact that he can't explain the gauge theory in like five sentences so that other people can understand it doesn't help at all. Um, like, what I, what I wanted to say is, that, don't get me wrong, I love both of these guys. I think they are insanely mm. smart. I, I listen to both podcasts. I think Lex is an awesome dude. I think he has the heart at the right place. I think Eric has a lot of good takes on, on most topics. I think he's obviously really smart. Um, but that doesn't mean that they understand Bitcoin or that doesn't mean that they have, um, like... <laughs> you know, they, they will have to go through the same journey that everyone else does. At yeah. first, Bitcoin is stupid, period. I went through it myself. I took longer than most. Like it took me many touch points and many years to finally understand it. And it's, again, I wasn't surprised. It wasn't even toxic in the first place. You know, I don't think the room was that toxic. I mean, for God's sakes, there were like three and a half thousand people in there and like 50 of them on the stage. And, and no, only it was when two... he left. <laughs> yeah, of course, when he left. But but as NVK said, you know, he kind of dropped the bomb. He, he He's like, he, he was talking about... Uh, how to fix Bitcoin with gauge theory for for ten minutes? Nobody understood the word, and then he left. And uh, it's it's not. That's what was frustrating for me because Eric Weinstein, he is not a friend of the academy. The how traditional science is done. He's not a fan of peer review. He's not a fan of the traditional discourse. He is a fan of the battle of ideas. And. He also said when he came into the room, I don't want to come in here as the big guy with my credentials, blah, blah, blah. Okay, why did you come in as Eric Weinstein in the first place? Why don't you have a NIM? You know, like a lot of Bitcoiners do. Mm. Why don't you just create a temporary account and just listen in? And if you have something smart to say, you can say it because this is Bitcoin. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, like that's build up, build up understanding, build up your reputation. It doesn't matter who you are. You can have your voice and you don't need to use your credentials in Bitcoin. Like, it's even preferred, you know? Drop your credentials. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody gives a fuck how many PhDs you have. If, if, you, if you have a smart thing to say in Bitcoin, it will be heard. And it, it doesn't matter what your past is or what your credentials are. So that's the first thing that really, like, mm. rubbed me the wrong way because he is raving and ranting about how it should be. And I'm telling you, the battle of ideas that are happening online, in forums, on Bitcoin Twitter, in Clubhouse, and offline... This is what a flat battle of ideas looks like. What Eric Weinstein wants to have is what's happening in the Bitcoin space. And he went into a room and he didn't like it. Well, bad luck. That's how it looks like. You know, that's if you don't go through the hierarchical step-by-step -step bullshit that the universities force you to go through, that's how it looks like. That's how it looks like if everyone has a voice and if things are like if if things are truly equal. As NVK said, you know, like it doesn't matter who this fucking guy is, he doesn't understand Bitcoin and he should shut the fuck up and listen. And 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 that's yeah. just a fact, you know? Like that's just I think Lex was way better there. Like he was way more humble and he he tried to understand it and he he I think he truly thinks that all of it is interesting, but I think um, he finds it interesting for for the toxicity reasons and for the social reasons, not necessarily for um, the way that Bitcoin will change the world. And 
with Eric just talking about gauge theory, for example, there are a lot of smart Bitcoiners. There are a lot of physicists in Bitcoin as well. And so some people were able to parse what he said. And the thing is, what that's, that was Can the you? second thing that uh, really drove me nuts. I mean, you know, like I don't have a strong background in physics, um, <laughs> but I know a little bit. And I, since I listened to Eric, I think I'm I'm better than the average Bitcoiner of deciphering what he was trying to say. And there was also this yeah. um, clip on 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 Twitter that uh, other Bitcoiners shared, and everyone was like, "Okay, yeah. let's try to decipher this." And I chimed in there as well. And the criticism that Eric has is it, it's an okay criticism. It's just he doesn't understand Bitcoin well enough for the criticism to be warranted. Because what he wants to have is to have a system like Bitcoin without any global state. And in our universe, you can do that because the physical laws take care of the rest. You have like an underlying field in his terms. You have like a gauge field that pen penetrates the whole universe. And the universe takes care that things like retrocausal operations cannot happen. You know, like one law of our universe is that if A depends on B, a has to happen first, whatever first means. Even with relativity, even with quantum physics, all of it, you can have quantum experiments where it seems that stuff is happening retrocausally, but you can never make sense of it. You can't get information out. Same with, same with relativistic effects. You don't have an absolute time. You don't have something like simultaneity, but you will always have inside a single light cone. You can make sense of the world because A happened before B, happened before C, and so on and so forth. Okay, we need this substrate to build up any meaningful system in the first place. And Bitcoin is exactly this substrate in cyberspace. So the, the, the rules and the laws of Bitcoin make sure that we have this quote-unquote gauge field that penetrates everything. And this is what builds up the space-time in cyberspace. And this is what Eric doesn't understand. And I, I deliberately right now put it in his terms, you know. But this is literally what Bitcoin does. It builds up a space-time continuum in cyberspace, in the purely informational realm. And it has time going forward. It's, it's the blockchain. It's the time chain. And, you know, like the space dimensions just... Think of them as you will. Think of it as block space or, or whatever. But we have like a spatial dimension as well. And you can get, go, for example, forward and backward in the transaction graph. And, and so this is what we have. And what, what Eric actually wants to have, like with this local transformations of bundles, blah, 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 this is the Lightning Network. We now have this substrate. And on Lightning, you can do local operations where you don't have to share a global state with everyone else. And I just wish that he would understand that it's his ignorance of how the system functions and what he does that that is to to be blamed for <laughs> for like so we, part of the toxicity yeah, that was in this room <laughs> so he he just, he just hasn't spent enough time looking at it he hasn't been down the rabbit hole enough he hasn't sat down with the right people and talked about it in depth to understand that what he what he wants is actually happening I think so. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to sound pretentious because he's definitely a smart guy and he has spent some time looking at it. And I mean, he he comes from the, from from yeah. He has a strong mathematics background, and he of course uh, did a lot of, in the investment world as well for uh, Peter Thiel and and so on and so forth. But I think he he doesn't understand deeply enough what kind of problem Bitcoin solves, and that there is only like <laughs> you know. There isn't a magical way of how you can solve it. And 
there are mm. so many things. There were there were so many gems of wisdom that were dropped in these like 15 minutes or or, or 30 minutes uh, where Eric was there. And one of them was NVK, where he said, "Bitcoin is both the map and the territory, and it's operating in the physical realm. It's using it's using the physical laws of our universe to build this." map slash territory in cyberspace. And there is so much deep wisdom in that because it's actually true. You mm -hmm. know, like it's proof of work anchors the informational realm and in the informational realm with bits and bytes, we only have information and the transformation of this information, which is computation. That's the only thing that we have. You cannot link information to something else in the real world. The map will never be the territory. It's impossible. It's an impossible problem. And Bitcoin solves it in this kind of beautiful, probabilistic, game-theoretical way and utilizes proof of work to anchor it into the real world. And I'm pretty sure Eric doesn't understand that properly. And that's where this criticism comes from. You know, like it's it's okay, it's a valid yeah. criticism, but there is just no way to solve it in another way, I think. So it makes me think of this um, documentary is out at the moment that's called <laughs> uh, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. He's an actor, David Arquette. Um, and he, um, I'm sure I said his name right. He, uh, a few years ago, you, you're going to laugh at the analogy, but he, a few years ago, he went into the world of wrestling as a joke, kind of took it semi-seriously, and he became um, a heavyweight champion or whatever it was. But one of the things that they've always had in the the wrestling world is like the, the the actors in Hollywood. They can't just come in and just become wrestlers. And if you do, the golden rule is you don't you don't just make them world champion because they haven't earned their time. It doesn't matter if they're from Hollywood. Doesn't matter what they've done. They haven't been in that space. They haven't been you know uh, fighting in the rings and taking all the pain which wrestlers take to get that. You can't because we know it's all made up. And it kind of makes me think of that as like. Eric Weinstein ha hasn't come in humble. He hasn't come in asking questions. He's just come in and he's basically telling people what he thinks and then leaving. And actually, in some ways, you know, uh, when people are a bit fuck you, I was like, well, come on, it's Eric Weinstein. Let's just give him a chance. Let's be and now I kind of get it. I get what Rodolfo is doing. It's like, fuck you. I've been here for 10 years. I've, yeah. I've put the blood, sweat, and tears in. I've defended Bitcoin. I've been through the Civil War. I've been through every fucking attack this has been through. And you know, I'm just not having it. And I understand that now. And that toxicity, you get it whether you're a pleb, you know, a nobody, or you're at Weinstein. You're going to get the toxicity if you don't come in with the right attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as I said before, I think it's also a kind of defense mechanism because in the past, we had kind of you know, like conversations. And there were conversations to be had, like about what Bitcoin is, how it should operate, how what its future should be. And in a sense, like um, the civil war was a battle about Bitcoin's soul, you know, like as I said in the beginning, everyone has to decide for for themselves what Bitcoin is. And, and I think the question was, like, should we... Should we risk a hard fork and, and going down this slippery slope to fix this one small problem, so to speak, or can we fix it in any other way? And I think like there is a meta rule to Bitcoin to to keep it backwards compatible, to have no hard forks, except when it means the death of the network. And that that's that's what basically what it was about. You can call it the scaling debate and so on and so forth, but that's not that's not accurate. Like it's it, it was about something else. It was about about this eternal question, like when when. Is there ever a time where a hard fork is warranted? And is this time now? And so the, the toxicity that Eric experienced comes also, I think, from this like white blood cell defense mechanism that Bitcoiners have built up certain heuristics that, you know, like, <laughs> 
if someone is friendly to you, he's probably not your friend. He probably wants to attack Bitcoin or he wants to scam you or sell you something or sell, sell you a shitcoin or, or whatever. And there are other heuristics that are just insane shortcuts to a deep understanding of Bitcoin. And one of them is, if it's not Bitcoin, it's a shitcoin. Period. And the yeah. market agrees. You know, just look back to all the other shitcoins. It's just everything that's useful can be absorbed by Bitcoin. <laughs> it's, it's just software. We can't change it if we have to, you know? It's, but it, all of it is nuanced and it's very difficult to, to understand. And, and so if someone comes in now and it's like, oh, you're just, you have to be nicer and you just, uh, uh, nobody will use Bitcoin because all the Bitcoiners are so toxic. That's complete bullshit. Like Bitcoin, first of all, doesn't care. Bitcoiners don't have to care. Again, like there are some angels like NVK that do like 10 hours of Clubhouse every day to explain stuff to newbies. But again, Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoiners don't have to care. And economic reality will dictate Bitcoin future not niceness and if you can't handle like if you can't handle the, the discourse and the battle of ideas that's going on then this is on you as well like you have to learn why mm -hmm. bitcoin culture is the way it is and it all boils down to the way that bitcoin operates it's fuck you money if you don't agree with the bitcoin that i'm using like i can say fuck you i'm doing everything myself i'm i'm using my own node i'm holding my own keys and that's the way that bitcoin operates yeah yeah so look, it's something that took me a long time to get my head around. Um, it really did. Uh, and I get it now. I, I very much misunderstood the plebs uh, and the role they play as well. Um, and I uh, fought them. And you know, it takes time. I, I would love to see Eric come back and just engage in a, in a discussion in a way where he wants to listen and learn as well as ask questions. Uh, I do think Lex is slightly more interesting. He does seem to want to learn more. Um, unfortunately, he seems to also be um, um, bought into the allure of some shit coins. Well, hopefully that that won't last. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that uh, will pass like all shit coins. <laughs> yeah, it will do. Uh, I also think Jordan Peterson is going to be a very interesting one. He seems to be like just teetering on the edge of getting into this discussion. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I kind of want to hear. I kind of want to hear him with you and Breedlove at some point. I really want to hear that kind of discussion happen. Yeah, um, you know, I think I think the chances are are great of that actually happening. Um, mm, Jordan is still interested, as we saw on Twitter, and uh, I think he is just uh, he he has a lot of his on his plate as well. Uh, just published a new mm -hmm. book, and uh, he still has health issues. And uh, if you listen to his his recent podcasts, he he said that he can basically it takes him like six hours to get going in the morning and he starts work at like, you know, like three in the afternoon and he works for two, three hours and then he has to go sleep again. So um, I think everyone needs a little bit of, uh, like we, we just also need to be patient with people, including Eric and Lex. I think Lex needs to go through his shitcoin phase. I think Eric just needs to be humbled over and over and over again. And everyone will mm -hmm. understand Bitcoin when it's the right time for them. And Eric will have to come back. I don't think he will do a Peter Schiff and, uh, you know, like die without having <laughs> any Bitcoin on, on, on his balance sheet or any understanding of it. Uh, I think Eric is like probably halfway there already. And I think Lex is more than halfway there because I think once you mm. dabble with shitcoins, you're already over the edge. Uh, and, and, you know, like you you think that something is better than fiat, for example. And with Peterson, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to him either directly or also hearing Robert talk to him. And who, who like, however this will happen, I think it will be very, very interesting because a lot of 
the themes that Peterson talks about align extremely well with Bitcoin. And we discussed mm. uh, not necessarily the, the toxicity, because I think that's the, the, the wrong word for it. But I think the, the stuff that we discussed in terms of taking responsibility upon yourself and uh, also planning for the future and just lowering your time preference. And also, you know, it's, it's from, it's focused on the individual. And I think Peterson would really like that. Bitcoin is very individual yeah. centric and everything follows from that. And if you can help others, you know, like if you can run a note for your family or your friends and help your community in some way, all the better. But first and foremost, save yourself, you know, start to start stacking sets and, and save yourself first yeah. and, and then everything goes from there. Yeah, I mean, I've not agreed with everything I've read or heard Jordan Peterson say, but I, I and yeah, I do like the way he, some, you know, some of his talks when he gets some quite pokey questions, we had that Channel 4 interview, we tried to do a takedown and she, he absolutely destroyed her. Um, but a lot of that, it, a lot of, there is, like you say, a lot of that alignment with kind of like, that self-responsibility of Bitcoin, um, that kind of, yeah, a, a lot of the freedom things we were talking about earlier. But it is super interesting about there's this kind of like wave of very successful podcasters, kind of known uh, voices that are now just starting to circle around Bitcoin. Uh, there are some similar circling around shit coins, which is really sad and annoying and promoting the whole NFT thing, which I just, I don't understand but it is interesting that it's like this wire. It's like Bitcoin is getting into the wider conscience now. Um, we see these MSM articles are still trying to push the um, narrative of Bitcoin's bad for the environment, but that's getting shot down quite a bit now. And I've actually seen a couple of articles which aren't negative on that side of things. And I feel like we're 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 really starting to like cross into this mainstream consciousness, and not in the negative fud way, not entirely in the negative fud way we had previously. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the energy discussion, I think, will stick around for quite a long while because it's not straightforward mm -hmm. to understand that Bitcoin actually probably is good for the environment and is good for renewables and, and so on and so forth. It's really easy to just point to the energy consumption and just pull some numbers out of your ass and, uh, uh, you know, you, you'll calculate the carbon footprint of, of Bitcoin and just, yeah, it will boil the oceans and <laughs> that's it. But so um, I think this won't go away very, very soon. But we also saw extremely bullish news uh, from, from Europe with CT. And if you've read this shareholder letter, it, it attacks this energy angle straight on. And it's, it's like, amazing. you know, yeah, it's, it's amazingly bullish because... Um, the people that, that are behind this, they actually know what they are talking about. They are, they are, you know, like heavily invested in the energy sector and in renewables. And uh, so there is a lot of weight behind that. And if just new mainstream media articles come out, you can just, <laughs> you can just straight up tell them that they have no idea what they're talking about and point them to that shareholder letter, for example. And in, in terms of the podcast, the wider podcast circus, um, yeah, coming towards Bitcoin, I think this will just continue. And I think people like Lex Friedman, Eric Weinstein, and Jordan Peterson, they are just, again, on the extremes of the personality spectrum. They're, they're very disagreeable. They are very open-minded. You know, like Lex Friedman is insanely open-minded and he's definitely an extreme person. Just look at all the things, all the challenges he does, for example, and the, the physical uh, strain he puts himself through. Uh, Eric Weinstein is extremely disagreeable. He goes against, you know, <laughs> against the... the 
the, the fiat way of, of doing everything pretty much. It, it doesn't matter if it's politics or, or science or what have you. And with Jordan Peterson as well, you know, like he, he's very, very open-minded and he's very open to new ideas. And so I'm not surprised that it's those kind of people that um, slowly but surely come around to Bitcoin. And I think as as Bitcoin grows, which it inevitably will, it, it will bump against more and more people and more and more larger personalities. And I think it will be the open, disagreeable, smart people first. And we see this also with CEOs, you know, like Michael Saylor and others. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is just, it will just continue. It's just the, the, the scope is larger. Well, listen, congratulations on that. That work that you and Breedlove and John have done in uh, trying to bring these people in, it's, it's been impressive just to watch from the outside. It's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, Okay, before we finish, uh, again, congratulations on the book as well. Anyone listening, uh, 21 Lessons, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, it's you know, it's not a long listen on Audible. You can do it in under three. It's about two and a half hours, am I right? Yeah, something like that. It's it's not long yeah, at all. Yeah. And again, it's it's because it, it wasn't written as a book in the first place. Uh, so I try to remedy that by writing a second one, which will be way longer. But you can just go to... Well, we're going we're gonna to come to that. Yeah, you can just sorry. Tell them what to do that. You, you can just uh, go to Twenty One Lessons Come and le- read it uh, online for free as well, uh, including the audiobook, or you can just get it on Amazon physical form or Audible. Oh, so I, I I use well I used an Audible credit anyway, um, but I, I highly recommend it, and especially if you've been in Bitcoin for like a little while. Um, I, I, as I say, I thought it was a really helpful book. Uh, it kind of crystallized some of my own thinking. You know, it reaffirmed some things. It put me in the direction of some other things I, I know I need to learn a bit more about. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, but that's where I just wanted to finish on. Tell us about the new book, yeah, 21 so Ways. I've been, I kept writing after 21 Lessons, and I'm actually, you know, nice. um, I'm more proud of some of the articles I, I, I wrote after 21 Lessons than about 21 Lessons itself, because again, it was just, I just sat down one, one day and wrote this very long tweet thread and in the end it, it turned into a book. That's <laughs> that's how I see it. But I think, you know, thanks to uh, people like Breedlove and uh, also some some newer voices like Ellen Farrington, for example. And there, there are many, many others, uh, also Brendan Quidham. And, and there are so many great people mm-hmm. that wrote amazing things, uh, really deep thinkers, um, deep thinkers that wrote deep p- pieces about Bitcoin. There's a lot a lot of meat to the whole matter. Eric, Eric Hasten comes to mind as well. And I just want to do all this deep thinking justice in the new book as well. And it's called 21 Ways and it's the subtitle is 21 Ways to Look at Bitcoin. So I want to take 21 different perspectives of how you can understand Bitcoin and go really deeply into them. And uh, Bitcoin is Time, uh, an article that kind of exploded that, that I published, I think last month, is one of the chapters of the book. And it just explored Bitcoin through the lens of time, what do you need to do to build up an arrow of time in cyberspace in a trustless manner? And it's it's a really like I think it's it's one of the, the most important things to understand if you want to understand Bitcoin from a somewhat technical slash philosophical perspective. That this is what Bitcoin actually does. But there are many other things to be said about Bitcoin as well. And another perspective would be, for example, to look at it from the soundest money we ever had. And what makes a sound money and what are monetary properties and why is Bitcoin such an amazingly sound money? 
And yeah, I have 21 of those and uh, I'm still writing it. Um, <laughs> it. It gets harder every day because more obligations come in and uh, one of them yeah, was having it, a daughter and <laughs> another one was <laughs> joining Swan. But I, I, I'm doing my best to get up super early and, and write an hour or two in the morning and sometimes late at night. And I'm, I'm, I'm struggling along, you know, like I, I think I have like six chapters now almost uh, finished. And um, so six out of 21, I really have to be done in 2021 because that's what I promised. And it, it kind of has to be published in the year 2021, I think. <laughs> awesome, but um, yeah, so that's the plan. I hope to I, I hope to make it. And if if someone's interested in that, you can follow along on, on Twitter. And also I have a Patreon for the book where I publish some drafts of chapters and other material. And yeah, I'll just I'll just continue to try to do my best, be as useful as I can, write about it, code. Um, like, you know, I always say. I do as the core commands and that's writing words and code. And my plan is to keep doing that and just be as useful as I can. Well, listen, it's it's great to kind of meet you, <laughs> uh, but it's um, it's been great to uh, follow your work, uh, especially recently. It's funny, your character, your avatar, someone who looks quite scary, you come across as hostile, just the picture I had of you because you're your avatar, but oh yeah, I'm very, very nice toxic. <laughs> yeah, but no, so, listen, your work's brilliant. I, I was so excited to do this interview this morning. Obviously, you know Ben's working with me, and we talked about it. Uh, Listen to the book. Uh, Listen to it a second time this morning, walking uh, around the park. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think your work's brilliant. I think you're a massive asset to the Bitcoin community, and just keep doing it. Anything I can ever do for you? Ever want to come on the show? please do. I look forward to the new book. Hopefully we can discuss that and uh, just keep doing your thing, man. Thanks. Will do. Thanks for having me, Peter. Anytime, brother. Okay. How good was that? How good was Gigi? It's been long overdue getting him on the show. Do you know what's been long overdue getting a bunch of people on the show? I am trying to work my way around all the different badass Bitcoiners are there are out there and, and get them on and just cover some of the great thinking these people have. I'm, you know, I feel just so lucky to be surrounded by so many smart people and just to get to talk to them all the time. So I'm going to keep doing this, keep trying to get people on, and definitely Gigi will be back because he smashed it right. I think the philosophy around Bitcoin is really interesting. And as I said in the introduction, my take has changed on it massively over the years. And I think it takes potentially a full cycle to really understand all the implications of Bitcoin and the reasons that more hardcore Bitcoiners are so fiercely protective of it. You know, I've been out there on Twitter, I've been giving the shitcoiners a, a tough time, and <laughs> I've seen some angry people getting back at me. They even had some dude dox me yesterday. What a twat. But yes, after four years, I'm really starting to understand it a lot more. And you know, learning in public and pushing back on people, it's been a, like it's a tough experience. You know, you're going to get some strong-willed people with a lot of experience. But for me, it's just been really great, really great to learn. So I have always appreciated people like Gigi giving me their time. And listen, anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't read 21 Lessons or any of Gigi's work, links are in the show notes. Make sure you do go and check them out. And if you have any questions or any feedback, you can reach out to me. It is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or just jump onto our Telegram channel. And also, if you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That will be greatly received. And also, go and check out Defiance. That's at defiance.news or register for our newsletter at neveredit.com. Have a great week, and I'll see you all on Wednesday.